0: This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by the Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 23, 25 to 39, in which Jesus continues his warning against hypocrisy. Together, we will be discussing the importance of focusing on the root, or our relationships with Christ, from which fruit is produced.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Natasha.
2: I'm Brittany.
1: I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you guys to continue our journey through Matthew. Uh, just as a quick reminder, last week we focused on Matthew 23, verses 13 through 24, where we began to work uh, with the seven woes of Jesus, working with the first four of those seven, and... Um, and together we discuss the importance of leading well and aligning our hearts with our outward actions. Uh, this week we're going to continue on in those seven woes with the the last three from Jesus uh, towards the teachers of the law as we work through Matthew 23, verses 25 through 39. And today I believe we have uh, Natasha reading for us. So Natasha, would you... Read for us Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 39.
0: Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors... We would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then, and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
1: All right, thank you for reading that for us. What are you guys seeing? What What is uh, standing out to you as we finish out this um reading and conversation of Jesus's woes to the Pharisees.
3: The first thing that I notice is this call to the cup and the external of the cup. But then as, as he proceeds in verse, um, what is it? Verse 25 says, but the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And so it's, it's an external object, but when he points internal, it's like our heart and not just an object. And so, He's moving from an object to a, to the heart.
0: I think this last week. So we, the General Assembly for the Church of the Nazarene, um, has been going on meets every four years. It's actually been six since our last one because of of a delay for the pandemic. But um, at at many of the, I guess, meetings that that we were at while there, um, there was this conversation and this theme of the root and the fruit. And I feel like this, these woes, particularly these first two really get at the heart of, of that idea that you can have fruit, but if it doesn't have good root, that fruit is going to be tasteless. Um, it's not going to be of the spirit and it's not going to, it's, it's an imitator.
3: I mean, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, like a, I think of like a plastic fruit, like it looks like the fruit, but on the inside, like you're not going to eat it and, and gain anything from it.
0: And with that, I feel like Jesus in verse 26 is emphasizing that we need to clean the inside. We need to focus on the inside and stop trying so hard to focus on the fruit that we produce. We're We're very, very... I don't know. Intentional about looking for. Well, do I have the the fruits of the spirit? Do do I you know? And I think we've even done tests like these, right, where you can you can do a little check. You know, do I have love, peace, patience, kindness? Do I demonstrate these things in my everyday life? Um, and while that can be useful, really, all of those things are stemming from a root. And I think the Pharisees got so stuck on this test, this outward test of the fruit, that they missed that it was about this deeper relationship. And so we really need to begin to turn our focus instead of the outward action, we need to be turning our focus towards what it means to grow deep root. So that way we can produce the fruit that that the law is is calling us to.
1: When we think about it with, with Jesus as our model, which, I mean, we are, are called to follow him um, way early on, as we were working through Matthew, you know, we, we read through his call to the disciples, the invitation to follow. And in uh, a matter of what five chapters, we're going to get um, the the great commission to go and make disciples. Right. And this is, this is kind of the life that we have been called into. And so as disciples who have been called to follow Jesus, I, I suppose the question that pertains to what you were just bringing up, Natasha, is, well, then, what does it look like to look like him? Like, how do we best reflect Jesus? And, and I think it's important that we don't just... I think it's important that we don't focus on the fruit in Jesus's life. We need to try to get kind of dig in and figure out what is the root that is going on in Jesus's life. Not like we, we would all agree, like Jesus performed miracles. That's fruit. We would all agree that Jesus, as we read these accounts seemingly had an endless supply of patience towards people. And in some of the encounters that he was having, he gets a little more pointed with the Pharisees, but still, I mean, these are people who are literally plotting to kill him and he is exercising restraint fruit so we see all of these markers of what it looks like to live like Jesus on the outside and we we do we get focused on that but i think i think the the root cause or even what he's addressing here it goes deeper than just the actions that he performs and so the question becomes what does it what is the root present in Jesus's life and i think we can turn through um, some of the some of the the different letters of the New Testaments, uh, the other Gospels, and begin to understand what maybe some of that root was. And off the top of my head, um, the one that stands out the most is in John uh, chapter five, where it says that Jesus did nothing apart from the Father. Like he he did not do anything he he that he didn't see his Father doing, and so like at its core, at Jesus's core, he didn't operate independently. He sought to do what he saw his father doing. Um he he never said anything apart from the Father. He never judged apart from the Father. That's also in John chapter 5. Like when when he was making a decision in a situation or coming to a conclusion, like he didn't come to that independently. He depended on his father to come to those conclusions, to come to those, um, those decisions. And so when we think about it like that, like Jesus's root was a clear connection to his father. Right? We see uh, countless accounts of him getting away to spend time with his father. Um, so he did it, he, he would meet with him And he would depend on him morning by morning in his meetings and moment by moment as he walked through life. And so when we start talking about this idea of cleaning the inside instead of focusing on the outside, we need to start looking at this conversation of rather than focusing on behaviors that we should be having that demonstrated in the world around us, we need to focus on following as Jesus followed and then allow the fruit to follow. I got this image in my mind as you were talking, Natasha, about trees, like fruit trees specifically. And I'm not scientific as you are, so correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe this is more of an existential conversation, anyways, for a tree. From from what I understand about trees, like they don't get planted and their focus isn't in immediately to produce fruit. Their focus is to take root is to allow their roots to find a, a good source of water that that sustains the life of the tree. And then as a result of a tree digging good roots, fruit begins to be produced. And so in the same way in our own lives, as we as we seek to dig good roots, as we seek to to really root ourselves in Jesus and in listening to him and pursuing him in only saying what he would say and only doing what he would do when our focus becomes that the fruit's going to follow we don't have to try to manufacture the fruit the fruit is a byproduct of the good root that has taken place just like with a tree
3: the one thing i would say is like that i could see a little bit of a warning in here for jesus from jesus like for the church to not put expectations of fruit on people hmm. Um, because we can so easily do that, put expectations for like, this is what you should, instead of trying to help people, which I feel like we talked about this, maybe it was even last week, like putting expectations on people of, of what should be happening in their life, um, instead of helping them get to that place of finding Jesus, helping them find Jesus every day. So we have to be careful not to place an expectation that you know you you prayed this prayer now we should be seeing these things and not that we shouldn't be, but we shouldn't expect like this like abundance of harvest after someone's just began began to find the water, Um, and so you know I just think it's kind of a, a warning in the midst of that.
0: After you said that first statement, I got this image of us as the church as you said, standing there, having the expectation that the fruit would be produced. And I think we can do this on our own lives too. Not just when we look at other people, but like, where's the fruit? Like, why am I not, why, why am I not seeing like the blessings of God, like pouring out of me or pouring into those around me as I, as I go. And the spirit through us produces the fruit. The only thing we can really do in it is to deepen our root. Like that's the part where we get a choice right? Where we have to be ready to listen and obey, listen and obey, listen and obey every moment of every day. And as we become more disciplined in hearing his voice and following him through wherever he leads, then he will produce that fruit. And I think, so when you're talking about other people, that really has to be our focus is if we're going to help others to produce the fruit, we're not going to help them produce the fruit by saying, produce the fruit, We're going to help them produce the fruit by helping them grow the root. And so that has to be the focus as we disciple one another. It really has to be the focus of the church.
1: So discipleship becomes less about trying to address an action or trying to elicit an action and more about encouraging and um, providing space for people to encounter and experience Jesus.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this is what we do when we parent, right? Right. I mean we can discipline the behavior, right? We can discipline, we can have consequences for the behavior, but at its core, if we're not helping to cultivate in the heart this root that listens and obeys Jesus really in everything, then we we're all we're doing is producing really an imitation fruit because it's a facade. It's not authentic and it won't last. And we want we want the fruit that is produced in those we disciple to last. We want it to be spirit given fruit spirit produced fruit not manufactured which i guess to bring it full circle that's what the pharisees have been doing that's what they've been so focused on is producing this manufactured fruit and as long as i'm manufacturing this fruit then i look good and i i look like the law has called me to look and that's what jesus is saying that's not what it means to follow me that's that's not what it means to follow the law that's not what god intended and you've missed the whole relationship of it.
1: And I think it's a probably a fine line because like you already said Derek like when when we do like come to to Christ and submit ourselves and that root begins to take 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 root like fruit does follow and and so it should follow. So in a in a sense we should be able to use fruit as an indication of where somebody's root may or may not be. Um, and so I, I but feel it can't, like
0: it can't be the focus. It
1: can't be the focus. And that's the thing is unfortunately, because we can't actually know somebody's root, we do look at the fruit and we make judgments based on that. And we even probably in ourselves, like evaluate the fruit and make judgments based on that. And we become so consumed with the fruit that we lose sight of the root. And, and, and I don't think that's necessarily an intentional thing. Like I'm choosing to to stop looking at the root. I'm choosing to stop looking at the inside. It's just, we, just we, we can't see the inside, and so we just become so over-focused with the outside because that's the thing that we can control. That's the thing that we can actually evaluate. That's the thing that we can measure. Mm-hmm. And, I mean... <clears throat> I know Jesus is being very direct with the Pharisees and we have been pretty harsh with the Pharisees as we talk through, uh, the gospel. But I mean, that's probably more what this line was like for them. Like it, it wasn't an intentional walking away from knowing what was best and, and saying, I, I reject that completely. I'm choosing this. It was probably this slow, like, gradual movement away from the root because they had become so focused on the fruit. And and I think that it would be, I think that the woe that Jesus issues to them then should be a woe that we heed for us even now. Uh, Because this is something that I think I see happening. I'm not trying to be judgmental in saying that I just, because fruit is something that we can evaluate. We can measure, measure, we can see it's just, it's a, it's a fine line.
2: Well, the fruit is easier to like, it's easier for me to look at somebody and say, Oh yes, he's got joy to actually get to know Derek and say, you know, to know, to be in community and to have a relationship with him that takes work. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work on both of our parts to put forth that effort that we know each other well enough to know the fruit that is being, produced is artificial or if it's true and I think that's what's really important about community and accountability and making sure that we are living in community that we are you know getting to know we're, we're putting forth effort um, that way that we can you know we can know you know I, I know I, I don't know all of Derek's heart obviously because that's, that's all, only God knows but I know I know I know him. I know him probably more than better than anybody else in the world knows this man. And if something's wrong, I'll I'll probably be the first one to know. Um and I, I think but that's because we put forth effort. And I, I it's just harder, I think. It's it's easier to look at the fruit and say, Oh yep, they've got joy. Oh yep, they're they're, you know, given to the poor. Good job. But it's another thing to look at them and, you know, really get to know them and know the heart of what they're doing.
3: As we've <clears throat> sat here and and talked about this passage, as I look back at it, if your if your cup is going to be clean, you have to have water. If your roots are going to grow, you have to have water. And so from for like as I look at this, like the question I have is are we helping people find a good source of water?
1: And Jesus is identified as that water, right? Like it might sound a bit on the nose, but <laughs> you know when he's when he's with the woman at the well he talks about giving water where she will never thirst again like he is that water and so for us as for us as disciples who are working to make disciples that make disciples the best thing we could do for anybody would be help them get connected and rooted to him not try to make them depend on anything that we're doing or teaching or demonstrating for them but to in everything we do point to him. So that way their root takes root in him instead of anything else.
0: As I as I sat and listened to our conversation about these two these two woes here in, in verse twenty five and twenty-seven, I just I'm struck by I guess the just the paradox that's created between what what the Pharisees are working so hard to achieve and like Jesus just sees right through it. They're working so hard to have this, this, you know, law abiding, upstanding appearance so that they can be whole and presented clean and blameless to Him. And yet He sees right into their hearts. And I just, I feel like, I feel like it's so applicable. I mean, I could just, I could read this. I could read this. To, as it addressed to the church today, and I feel like it would hold just as much weight and, ha- and just as much truth, Jesus might say, woe to you, you pastors, board members, church leaders, you Christians, hypocrites. You've, you've worked so hard to appear Christ-like on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of greed, self-indulgence, blind Christians, first Focus on cleaning your heart. Turn your heart towards me. Listen to me, and then I will make you blameless, clean, Christ-like on the outside. I just—we're in the same place. Two thousand years later, we're in the same exact place, and I feel like as I read this, I—I I know I—I I try so hard to to listen and to be led by Jesus, but. I fail so many times. And even in the times where I'm able to stop myself, I know the the, the selfish and the greedy and the impure thoughts that fill my heart. And I just, I feel like we, we've gotten so used to putting up these facades in the church, this lack of authenticity. Like we have something to prove to one another that we've missed the opportunity to really come into the holiness that Christ has called us to. And so I just feel, I feel Jesus calling, I guess, asking me to to be more transparent about the things that I think, because what's in my heart is what produces, that's what yields fruit. And so if I have even these hidden things in my heart and I'm able to, in some circumstances and situations, have enough self-discipline to stop, right? Maybe I hold some of my thoughts captive before Christ, but in those moments where I'm quick to respond and I fail to take those before Jesus, like out comes uncleanliness and evil and, and things that are not of this kingdom. And then I just spill like destruction everywhere around me. And I need help. I think, I think we all need help and we need, we need a space where we can be transparent about it. And be honest with each other with what's going on inside our hearts. Because really we can explore and know our hearts better than the people around us. I think I'm just sad. Just sad that we feel like we can't be that way. We can't be authentic around each other. And that basically deprives us of the body of Christ. Because that means we can't bear each other's burdens. We can't help hold one another accountable. Because we're not willing to reveal our hearts to each other. And the dark places that are in them
3: well we don't want to give up what what esteem has come with with those positions like we if we expose who we really are to other people then they might think less of us and you know we we care so much about position that if we allow someone to know who we truly are even though we know who we are and we're not hiding from God who we really are we're afraid of what that means because we've worked so hard To get to where we are. That we forget everything that brought us to that place.
0: It's like, just like Adam and Eve, we're still hiding in our shame.
3: Oh yeah, we're we're putting, I mean, we're putting a mask on at a masquerade so that people don't see who we really are. I mean, we see it, maybe not like in our own body, but I mean, we've seen it before. We do it ourselves in some way, form or fashion at some point, like, oh, everything's fine because I really don't want you to know what's going on in my life or my heart because then you might think less of me and I've worked so hard for you to think that I'm something great.
2: Well, I think also um, to that point, I have personally experienced where I will say fine because I don't want to burden you with what I'm going through. Mm. I, you know, this is something I'm dealing with. I'm going to take care of it. You know, I don't, you don't, I don't want to burden you. And that's not at all what, you know, What we're, we're we're supposed to, like you said, bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to do this together, but a people pleaser like me, I don't want to burden you with anything.
3: It's also like a way of not exercising humility to the fullest.
0: And idolizing our position or, or our image, mm-hmm. the facade.
1: As I'm thinking about this conversation and reading the the final woe, the, the thought that kept coming to my mind as you guys were talking was what is the cost to life like this? Like what is the cost to keeping things on the inside, not bearing each other's burdens, being afraid to lose my position of influence? Like what, what ultimately does that cost us? And, or what does it cost us to be focused on producing good fruit instead of like producing fruit instead of just focusing on the root and allowing the fruit to follow and, and Jesus addresses that in, in the next woe as he uh, expounds on where the Pharisees came from. The Pharisees like says, Jesus says that they are making a confession against themselves um, because they claim to be the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. and And so essentially he is saying you are the cost of people that are simply focused on the fruit. Mm-hmm. As as you continue to just be focused on the fruit, even though you know that the root matters in time, people will, will actually forget about the fr- the root, they will become so consumed by the fruit, that they'll just miss it, it'll be impossible for them to produce the fruit because the root won't be in existence. And all you will find is destruction, things will just fall apart. And when I then bring that into the conversation that that you were having, Natasha, where you I I believe in a way led by Christ brought those first few verses into a conversation for us as a church today. I read this next woe and I hear Jesus telling us there is a cost. If you are going to be so consumed and focused on acts of righteousness as the end of what it means to be a follower of me, you will find destruction. And I know that maybe sounds like, wow, that's a jump maybe a little bit too far. But it's it's not what I do that saves me. It's not what any of us do that save us. It is our confession of who Christ is, both with our lips and with our life by following him and pursuing him and allowing him to lead us. And so if I just focus on the things that I am doing, I've lost sight of the one who actually can save me. And in a sense, I've made an idol of myself because When I think I'm the one who is doing these actions or am trying to do these actions, then I think in some way, maybe not like direct line of thinking, but in some way, ultimately, I am elevating myself to a place of a a position that God is in, saying that I can save myself by doing what I do. And if this is the road that we're going to take, then we will find destruction. And as a church, if we're going to focus on behavior modification, we will find destruction, regardless of how good intentioned we might be in trying to find behavior modification. If that's what our focus is, look, your house will be left to you desolate. And I mean, this, this sounds depressing, a little bit overwhelming, but even in the midst of these woes, I read hope because there is another option. We don't have to just focus on fruit and, and The truth is, Jesus says to them then, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. So he's identifying these ones who have missed it, who have not been doing what they're supposed to be doing. And he says, I have longed to gather you, gather your children, gather you, and you were not willing. So like there, there's the, there's the like downside again, but like Jesus longs, to gather them. And so in the same way, like even today, we can hear this and be like, we're hopeless, or we can hear this and hear the hope that Jesus still longs to gather us, to gather us under his wings. The question is, are we willing?
3: I I find this hope that you were talking about in Jesus's warning to not repeat history. We talked Prior to the podcast, about, you know, Kings and this whole repeating the cycle, repeating the cycle. It's as if Jesus is presenting this olive branch. And if we can somehow translate that into the generations coming behind us, not that just one generation figures it out, but if we can continue this discipleship and helping hearts change and, and helping, you know, lives to find the water so that their roots can grow and bear real fruit then we don't have a house that's desolate. There's great hope in that. Like, yes, it, there is definitely a, a warning to the church, but I also see it as this hope that we don't have to repeat what has happened before us. Right. We don't have to be a, a whole two books of the, the Bible where we see this perpetual cycle of brokenness. Of, yeah, and we don't have to do that because he is getting ready to take our place. Obviously, he's trying to tell them about it. He's been trying to tell them about it, been trying to prepare the disciples for what's about to happen. And there's hope in this. We don't have to do this. He, I, I do imagine him coming with a sorrow, coming from a place of sorrow, because you know he's broken. He's been trying to convey this message for, you know, his ministry has been to convey this message of what's going to happen. of of the kingdom of heaven being at hand, and people aren't getting it, but He is the great hope, and just trying to point Him into that, that direction, that you don't have to repeat this cycle any longer. I have bro- I am about to break this cycle, so, so allow me to be that water for you, which is really what I think He's trying to be for the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the disciples. He's trying to be the water before them. I mean, you can't get much closer to the source than they were, physically speaking, like He is right there with them. And, you know, today we have the Holy Spirit here with us. And so we still have that source before us working on our behalf, whether we recognize it or not. And all we have to do is tap into that water. Right. And we can bear fruit. We can have roots that go deep. We can have this source that wants to continually overflow us with water so that we never thirst again. And yet we can find ourselves rejecting that water. It's as if we have like a hose before us, and all we want to do is just kink it. And that, like, He is trying everything He can to get that water in you. He's not going to force it on you. It's as if we'll put water all around people and we'll be like, man, aren't you thirsty? I got this water. Wouldn't you like to have a drink? But I look at you and you don't deserve this water. When Jesus is like, what are you talking about? My water's not just for you. And that's kind of how the church has lived. That's kind of how I've lived. Like you're not good enough for this water.
1: And that comes back to this conversation because we have made a judgment that somebody's not good enough for the water because we've looked at the fruit in their life.
3: Because we put a cumbersome load around them. that Like he bookends it perfectly. It starts with this cumbersome load that we put on people and we have the answer and we don't want to give it to them. We won't lift a finger to help them
0: change. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for having the things that people need, having access to, to you and for not doing a better job of helping people to find you, not doing a better job of helping facilitate the route that finds you. You, You've blessed us, blessed us beyond measure, how blind, how blind we've been. In some ways, Jesus, I feel like your patience amazes me because we've spent We've spent 2,000 years and we're still doing the same thing again because we don't listen because we focus on people's fruit, our fruit, making the church look pretty, but the world sees right through it. We we are the age of authenticity. People want a transparent church. Jesus was transparent. We just have a long ways to go.
3: We build a moat around it because we're trying to protect it, protect this thing the way that we see it. And then... In- in our effort to protect, we lose this. We lose sight of its intended purpose. It's not ours to protect. Like God doesn't need us to protect his gospel. He needs us to get out of the boat instead of instead we like to build a moat.
0: And the people who call us to account on these things in the church, the next part applies to them. You build tombs, church. For the prophets of old, and you praise the righteous. You say, if we'd lived in those days, we would have never, never crucified Jesus. We would have never shed the blood of any of those prophets. But we testify against ourselves. Because today, the people that call us and challenge us and challenge the church to look at things differently, we crucify them. My mind went here a while ago. Again, at General Assembly, there was a message from Ephesians about about basically the gifts that Christ had given the church to prepare and equip the saints. And it's from Ephesians 4, um, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And the confession was that we, the church, have done a really, really good job of celebrating the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists. But we've persecuted, we've shed the blood of, we've crucified figuratively the apostles and the prophets of our era. And when I read this, we're stuck in the same place. Nothing's changed.
1: I think it comes back to the conversation, though, of change can't come when we are simply focused on the fruit, when we are focused on the outward action when we're focused on either trying to sanctify what we are doing or trying to point out the lack of sanctification in somebody else, like when we are focused on the fruit, we miss it. We miss Christ. And so I, I know that like this passage is a passage full of woes. And honestly, I do think that these woes can be clearly stated to the church even today, but from the woes, from the woes, I, I think I hear an opportun, uh, opportunity, an invitation. Like Jesus literally says it earlier on. First, clean the inside. First, clean the inside. Like Jesus is, is, is presenting the answer to the problem of being so focused on the fruit. He's saying, just focus on your root. All I need you to do, all I need you to do is focus on your relationship with me. I just need you to tap into me. I need you to trust me. I need you to believe me. I need you to listen for me. I need you to follow me. That's it. And I'll take care of the rest. And when we are working with others, I need you to teach them to, to, to listen to me. I need you to teach them to follow me. That's it. Not follow your prescription for what Christianity looks like. I just need you to help them follow me and then let them do the same thing for somebody else. And for somebody else and for somebody else, like that is all this is about. And so I hear these woes and and I think it'd be very easy to get overwhelmed and kind of depressed because of the truth of what you say, Natasha, where it's like, this is where we are today. There's a clear path out of it. All we have to do, all we have to do is focus on him, follow him, help others to do the same thing. And so I guess I hear all of this and and I say, Jesus, would you just help me to focus on you a little bit more? tomorrow even. Help me to focus on you a little bit more the rest of this week. Help me to focus on you a little bit more this next week. Slow me down in the words that I say so that I can take them captive and bring them to you and and make sure they are of you before I pour them out into the world. Help all of us to do that so we can begin to be the fullness of the bride that you called us to be.
0: Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.